<laughs> Hello everybody and welcome back to Bring Around Blockbuster podcast. That chuckling, chuckling harlequin in the background there is Mr. Ben Hayes. How are you doing? Did you, did you get my aggressive swigging of my tea there just as you're about to start i don't know i hope so <laughs> because i know that you're it's someone i don't know if we've spoken about this before i think we have spoken about this before you're someone that hates the sound of people eating or drinking yeah, i do I, even have we myself, covered this like I, I don't even like the sound of myself. oh really well there was there was one man in particular I, I'll, I'll regale you this interesting story Back when I used to, I had a job many, many years ago when I was sort of fresh out of university and I used to get the same train every single day. And on that train used to be the same man who every single day would eat his packed lunch. And <laughs> I, would, I would sort of move around the train a little bit, but every time Find almost you. he would, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was taunting me because he would end up sitting behind me and eating this packed lunch, which would always consist of like a sandwich and an apple. And just like the crunching <laughs> noises and everything behind me. Oh, look, you know, this is, uh, it's taking me back to a dark place, mate. But um, you good? How you doing? Yeah, I, I am good. I um, have, do you know what? I will, I'm going to simmer into the, uh, to the first question that we always like to ask each other. I've been to the cinema this week, which you was have. a delight. It was nice because I haven't but- been since, I want to say, sort of pre-Christmas because I watched all of the films that we needed to watch for the kind of like Christmas episodes. I watched them all on streaming and there really is no replacement um, for getting in there in a dark room and watching two and a half hours of really, really wild fornication. Well, but before we dive into that. I saw poor things. Before we dive into that, mate, I do need to know. What uh, what snacks did you have for this trip? Because you know you, oh, you haven't been to the cinema so, for a while, so I'm I'm hoping you treated yourself. Yeah, do, do you know what? There was a it's really <laughs> it's a really nice moment. This got into the cinema. I was just about to go to our seat, and it, I, I promise this is not some sort of weird flex. But um, this kid came over, and it, like I thought he was coming over to help us find our seats because we were a little bit late we did we the film hadn't started but we just kind of missed the the bulk of the trailers and he came over and he was like ben and i was like yeah and he was like oh the spurs i was like oh that's really nice (laughs) um but then i suddenly felt really set i felt really self-aware because then we ordered about 30 quid's worth of snacks. <laughs> so then this kid, as he brought over like an entire like family-sized tray worth of snacks, was probably thinking like, what is wrong with this you're, guy? You're going to step out of the <laughs> cinema to with, like, a viral tweet. That Ben Ains is a right fat bastard. Look at this. Yeah, absolute in. chunky yeah. bugger. Um, I'm just showing him stuff in his face. <laughs> yeah. So I'm 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 an everyman man this week. Um and they're they're doing these little sweet pots at the moment. Oh dear. I don't know if you ugh, so dangerous, man. It's like the the crunchy honeycomb chocolate covered things and then buttons and then fruit and nut and (laughs) oh this is so bad i was really aware that the film had started and i was kind of like chowing down because i didn't eat much in the day and like i think the guy next to us just sort of shot me a look it was dark but i think he shot me a look like me yeah he was like 
are you okay? <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> like properly, like judgmental. Like, do you have to eat that aggressively? So after that, I kind of really, I was trying to eat one bit of popcorn at a time, which just doesn't, it just is not a thing, is it? Well, at Absolutely least you're not a thing. Was it Kermode and Mayo call it the church, is it? The, the, the rules that we, they have for... Oh, what they have... A, mate, when I first started listening to that, I had to sort of Google it because I didn't really know what they were talking about. There's a lot of in-jokes, isn't there? But Yeah, but they have a no aggressively loud snacking policy, do they? Mm. Don't they? Sorry. And no... Mm, did using you? Phone. A lot of people... Do you know what? One thing that's been annoyingly normalised is people using phones in the cinema. It's a dark room. You ruin it for everyone else if you're there with your so unnecessary lit up a few seats in front of someone. It's just distracting. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't do it. Watch Does that get on? You know, once you've seen that, is that in your head? Yes. Like you're unable to sort of be yes, like. Yes, because I'm waiting for the next uh, time they have a look. The other, uh, the other thing, the other thing that gets me is, and I think we've spoken about this before, but still, I'm going to say it again: people not whispering, people talk, just talking in the cinema. Just talking, chatting to each other. Everyone has a little whisper. <laughs> Look at that bit on the screen. Ha ha, wasn't that monster scary or whatever? Fine. Don't have yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's when people just sit there and just talk. Well, just stay at home. Yeah. Stay at home. Loudly nattering. Just watch doing? it at home. Ruin it for everyone else. Doesn't hurt to just have a bit of common courtesy. Fuck Is that your man. number one? If you can yeah, hear yeah, people yeah. talking in a cinema. I mean, I guess it kind of, it all depends on the type of film. Like, you know, we saw, what is it? Five Nights at Freddy's and we were sort of like, okay, it's a very young audience. It's a big cult. You know thing. what you're getting. People are all dressed up in fucking costumes and stuff. You know. <laughs> this, from, this from the man who turned up to watch Barbie in a Barbenheimer t-shirt. <laughs> Look at these so twats dressing right? up. That's different, you know. That's, there's an air of sophistication for that, right? I had to go to the effort so of uh, getting People that made. dressing up. <laughs> what I'm saying is, you know, Amazing, you know, it's going to be a carnival atmosphere. So my point wasn't so much mm, a comment mm. on those people in their costumes. Yes. Even if they did look yeah, very silly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you're there watching Killers of the Flower Moon and you've got some, you know, moron sat a couple of rows behind you going on about something they saw on TikTok, shut the fuck up. Go on. <laughs> it's going to be on Apple TV in a Have few you? weeks. Watch it there. Um, Do you, have you noticed that TikTok right. knowledge is now passing for mainstream knowledge? I think this is an, in, you know, it's like, an entirely different pod, mate, but yes, I have. It, it's, it, it winds me up, as I'm sure you'll imagine. People sort of like passing off knowledge as their own, just yeah. like they saw something on TikTok and then people often say, oh, I saw that TikTok too. It's the person on so, TikTok so made a compelling case, yes, but they're wrong. And they're just spreading. <laughs> have you heard of fake news? Have you heard of disinformation? Right, there you go. <laughs> I did see, I saw a brilliant oh, tweet brilliant. the other day um, and it was from somebody who I'm assuming was in Gen Z that was saying like, I don't want to hear any of us talking about our parents falling for fake news because the amount of shit I've seen shared by my friends who believe it's real. Because you see it daily now. You you open up Twitter and you'll see yeah. this scenario that is so clearly scripted and filmed by a production crew of, you know, People arguing in a in a car park or something. You're Do like, you reckon it's profitable? It must be. It must be right because it exists. You know. Um, but I, I keep seeing these things of like people t- like nearly getting kicked off planes. You, like weird dramatizations. Why? Weird, what is it? that? 
Because people get annoyed Very on strange. planes. You're trapped. You're trapped with other people, and when stuff happens, claustrophobia. So annoying. It's annoying. Isn't it? <laughs> the stink of other people. Um, <laughs> the stink. <laughs> let's talk about, let's talk well, about now that we've, things. Now that we've grumpified ourselves, yeah. do you want to get into poor things? Yeah, go on. Because I've seen poor so things we, as well we, this we, week, and I think we we both is, had this. Yeah, we both this went to cinema and saw the same film. That's a proper ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Well, how did you find it? How, okay. how was it you go you? first. You no, no, no. You go because no, I no, went no. first last week. So you go first. Did you enjoy it? I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to. I can't remember if we spoke about it off air Same. or we spoke about Same. it on the pod. But at some point, I remember saying to you directly, God, this trailer looks like a load of pretentious gubbins. You know, like, I, I don't know if I'm here for this. It feels like a kind of Wes Anderson clone, naff-affected kind of film. I don't know if I'm here for this. <laughs> like, um, that, that whole thing of, like, people being like, wow, I shot my daily life in Wes Anderson. Look at this. Yeah. And he started getting really annoyed with that, didn't he? Yeah, good on yeah, him. Yeah. By the way. I think he got more annoyed with the AI. Like these AI things recreated Wes Anderson. He's like, no, they didn't. That's something that I spent hours and hours and hours meticulously crafting. <laughs> yeah, but they thanks. Literally yeah, didn't do that. Awesome. Um, but no, I, uh, I actually, do you know what? I think I'd go as far as to say I loved it. I really enjoyed it. Oh, okay. So, what was the what were the the themes and bits that you enjoyed without giving away too many spoilers? Well, I really enjoyed. So, you know, the film is following Bella Baxter. It's a kind of modern day Frankenstein tale, um, played by Emma Stone, of essentially a reanimated corpse that is learning the world again learning how it all operates learning things like societal convention or not learning as the case may be as you'll see from the trailer with the various outrageous set pieces that they show you in the trailer don't want to go into too much more than that because it will you know spoil a pretty significant part of the story um but in terms of what i liked about it i liked how the how the directors captured a real kind of ethereal dreamlike quality much like we saw with Bo is Afraid like Ariaster's done with Bo is Afraid but unlike Bo is Afraid has managed to I think really still have a a more cohesive and straightforward not straightforward I don't want to say straightforward because that that implicitly sounds negative but at least has a tangible narrative arc to it that's what I really because it, it showed you that you can make films that like Wes Anderson used to do <laughs> make films that actually have, <laughs> a, actually have a clearly defined story to them but still have an artistic independent vibe to them a dreamlike quality to them um, yeah funnily enough we're speaking about AI I don't know if you felt this but at times, the and I don't want this to sound like a negative, but the the film almost had an AI like quality about it in the way yeah. it kind of was realised. Yeah, because the because of the stages that they were shooting on. Yeah, so all of all of the stuff is in this. They were kind of like LED stages, I think. So it's not green screen. That, yeah, Marvel these... started doing that as well because the actors were complaining about just green screen acting for the, all the time, basically. Yeah. And who was it? Was it Anthony Hopkins? It was just like, this is not acting. Potentially. Sounds like something he might say. Because I think it might have been one of the Thor films or something. 
Yeah, one of the one of the one of the yeah. real football men. Yeah. Um, but they. Uh, so men. this is all. Yeah, exactly. It, this this has got lots of particularly with the sky. There's there's a sequence or a lot of sequences where essentially Emma Stone's character is going out and exploring the world, and the world is. It is surreal, isn't it? It's all. Do you know yeah. what it reminded me a bit of? It reminded me a bit of Wonka. Like yeah, you can't it, really yeah, it's place a Neverwhere it. type vibe to it. Isn't yeah, there? yeah, you can't really place the places, even though you're being told geographically where you are. It's it feels a bit otherworldly, and it feels a bit like the the, the sky is different colours, and kind of it feels it's almost like a a painting this um, is what i mean though about the like the dream like ai quality because do you, do you find this mate sometimes when you will be like i had a dream that i was at home with my brother and we were watching a film even though the house was not your house and the person that was your brother yes. was not your brother you still yes. interpreted it as those things right exactly right exactly right so it was kind of like you knew everything in theory despite the fact that nothing yeah. really made sense. Yeah. And and I mean, even Willem Dafoe's character that is basically Frankenstein, um, it, it, even he, you kind of, it's almost like you're looking at a dream version of Willem Dafoe. You're sort of seeing this kind of it, misfigured, disfigured, weird accent that he's putting on, couldn't quite place it. I mean, it was it was supposed to be Scottish, I believe which is a bit kind of maybe I'm being a little bit mean but I thought I thought he was very very good. I thought Mark Ruffalo was incredible. Yeah, he had me in stitches. Yeah. Absolute stitches and Emma Stone watching her development over the course of the film was was wicked. Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well mate. I really really liked it. Um I thought the the way that it was shot I thought it looked really really cool. It looked really interesting. It was different. It held my it held my attention for the for the whole film. It really I like yeah. you said, with with some of those surreal films, I can really naturally buck against them when they don't make sense. I'm like, this doesn't make sense, and I don't the, understand the, it. And the I, thing is, for all the ethereal quality to it, it did make sense, didn't it? That's the thing about yes, this film. yeah, 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 um, absolutely. I particularly like because I think like one of the overarching kind of arcs to this is the sort of the theme of female empowerment, right? And I think it's done in a very smart way. Um, like we're talking about the fact that. Bella Baxter is kind of having to learn everything again when she's been told all these, well, this is the way you're supposed to act as a woman. Just being like, well, that doesn't make sense for all these different reasons. I think it's, uh, I, th- I think it, I think, I think it, it, it did that very well. And in a, again, in a non preachy, um, non, I don't know. I want to say, like, in a non-agitating way. I, I think even uh, no, kind of non-judgmental as well, right? Aren't gonna like be watching this and go, "Oh God, all this like feminist propaganda," because I, I don't think yeah. it held itself in that way. Um, yeah, it, because because of the fact that it basically has given the main character total like total ignorance, innocence, and rebirth at the beginning of the film to sort of tee the film up. She just a tiny because I don't want to spoil it, but. Bella Baxter is it Bella Baxter she's essentially a child in an adult's body um and so you have this really nice everything that she's experiencing she's experiencing for the first time so she's not got any of the preconceived notions of what it is to be a woman or what it is to be judged or 
why things what is the the phraseology that they use it's kind of like moral judgment or Mm. we don't do things because of like moral decency and she's like what the hell is moral decency like i don't care i'm just sort of living my life so there is this kind of um really nice lack of judgment on anything she's able just to go and experience things and then if she likes them she does them again and if she doesn't then she doesn't can i give you one little negative Hit me because I've got a list. No, I'm joking. I I, 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 I had a couple of little niggles in there. Go on, what have you got? I don't want to sound like a kind of, you know, Victorian pastor or something like that. (laughs) Stop showing the boobies. I I, I did find it a little gratuitous at times. And I'm not, you know, I'm not squeamish or prudish about that type of thing nor is Charlotte either. And we both kind of said afterwards, it it veered into being a little pervy, I think, in places. Um, yeah, and I was why gratuitous. is But why is that? It's really strange because I came out and I thought exactly the same thing. I was like, did we really, how much of the nudity that was used in the film was to enhance the story? Well, that's it, because I I think you can make a tangible case at first that it does, and then it gets to a point when you're like, okay, we've we've seen this now. Um, What's what's going on? Why why do we keep, like, why does this keep being on screen, right? Um, Yeah, which was, I found it a little bit strange, because there were sequences that I thought were were probably stronger for the fact that because there's that that whole thing of being a child right when you're a child kids just walk around naked and they just don't care yeah they're just like meh i'm just doing my thing but we are seeing over the course of the film that emma stone's bella baxter is is becoming more and more worldly wise and she's becoming more confident and more empowered to make decisions but also more wise to the ways of the world as well. So it's kind of a bit strange that it sort of continued so much into the film. It'd be interesting to hear from people whether other people had that same thing. I think the fact that we've both come out of it and thought, that's a bit weird, is something. And I don't know necessarily why that is. Did you have any other little hang-ups or shall I give you one of mine? No, no, go for it, mate. Yeah, please do. Well, so this wasn't this wasn't a hang up of mine, but I do I do want to sort of flag it because I think it's a really really interesting thing, and I don't just full disclosure, I don't necessarily subscribe to this theory, um, but it's it's something that filminquiry.com dot com are calling "Born Sexy Yesterday." Which is a really, really interesting. I, I, I don't know. I think perhaps you would call it a, a yeah, a motif. They're calling it a motif, uh, and they say "born sexy yesterday" is the common sexual fantasy depicted in films and television shows created by men and for men around female characters characters that exude sex appeal, but other than their physical aesthetic, they mimic the behaviors, intelligence, and attitudes of a young child. This trope has been around for decades, but only recently started to be consciously understood. And the idea is, is that even though Emma Stone's character is meant to be growing and developing, at her most, I guess, early state within the film, she's a child, and yet she's still... um, fawned over by men and is still sexualized and 
sort of what would be the word word sort of leered over by well, I think by men. So we were talking about the use of nudity I think you know you got that early you got the early part when one of her boobs falls out when Rami Yusuf's character Max is putting her to bed and he's the scientist that's studying her development and you can see already he's just drawn he's conflicted he's he's attracted to her but he's conflicted in knowing that he shouldn't be because she's essentially a child and she's essentially somebody that is under his care um and you still see that even this i think it i, th- I think that in some ways was quite a deliberate um tool used by the used by the you know well used by Yorgos Lanthimos director writer director i think oh no he didn't write it um to to show that even this the nice guy the guy and like that's looking after us still was you know weak and still wanted to control her as we saw you know in the early sort of parts of the film it, it's interesting i think it, it for a film that is kind of absurd it really did tackle some pretty interesting topics, right? And I think it, it yeah, oh, did it well. It did it well. Um, yeah, the, one of the one of the films that this this sort of essay kind of references is Ex Machina, um, and it sort of talks about the idea that she she is designed by men and so is allowed to have the the, the things of of being sexualized in a way that men would appreciate physically strong, intelligent, unaware of their desirability, et cetera. <clears throat> and it's, it's just really fascinating. I'm not sure that I subscribe to this because like mm-hmm. I said, I think there are some, for me, I, I, watching the film, I think there was really, really clear intention to tackle those themes and to present those themes kind of fairly head on. Um, but I guess that someone could make the argument that because Jorgos Lanthimos is kind of doing it from his perspective. There might be accidental straying into some of these tropes without even realizing that you're doing it. And that in itself, I understand, kind of asks the questions, asks, asks the question, well, doesn't that mean it's impossible to ever make any film ever without being somewhat affected by your starting mm. point? And I think that is quite interesting because we, we had that discussion about Emerald Fennell on, on Saltburn as well. Mm. which again I think is quite an interesting thing and it's definitely another conversation for another day because I think we're all victims of our environment that we've experienced over the course of our lives right you can't really help that but it is to come back to the, the original point it is really really fascinating the way that this film goes after some really complex discussions yeah and really it really gives. It has a good like rummage around in the psyche of men, doesn't it? It's. it's, it's, it's I, I really like how how it even down to the end sequence, which I won't spoil. It 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 really does present a, a very funny and comedic look at quite a heavy subject matter in a, in a very surreal way. I, I thought it was really good, really really good. Um, did it uh, did it hold up alongside the favourite? Because that, that was a really, you know, the, the director's last film. It really, I really loved that what film. What a film that was. What a film that was. I, the, if you haven't seen The the Favourite, spoiler alert, just very quickly. But it was only when I got home from the cinema and I was thinking like, what did I think of The Favourite? And it just came screaming back to me that line from Rachel Weiss when she said, what do you think the game is? 
you know when when she goes i emma stone's character says i've won and she goes what what do you think the game is that we're playing yeah and you have that realization you're like oh what an unbelievable twist such a good film i don't think it's as good as that but i think it is very very good what about yeah, you I, i'd agree with you completely like I, I think that i think that still is is, is best film personally speaking but I, I really did right like in... Poor Things. Another warning I just go want to on, give on, people on. for Poor Things as well. It's grotesque in places. If you're squeamish, if you don't like oh. blood and guts and such, it's... It, no messing, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. It is really <laughs> some grubby. Um, I, I looked away multiple times. Yeah. I'm not great with blood. and I, I, I looked away multiple times. Like... <laughs> It really is. Um, do you know what it reminded me of a little bit at times? It kind of had shades. This is like it in no way about the story, but just the way it was shot and the look and feel, it kind of had like shades of 300 in there. Do you know what I mean? In that weirdly bizarre. BYOB's reclaiming Zack Schneider narrative. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know that scene where in 300 they go up to the prophets on the hill and they sort of sacrifice young women to these sort of strange witch-like creatures. Yeah, the crones. And it kind of has that really weird sort of surreal thing to it. And the colouring is all over the place. It is it, it is a bit discombobulating. But as you say, I was able to go with it. I was able to go with it and, and really sort of get something from it. So no, d- definitely try it. And definitely try it at the cinema, I'd say as well. Don't wait for it to come out on streaming. I think it's a really, really good, interesting film. Um, can I give you a... Go on. Well, I was going to say, speaking Go, of streaming, oh, you've seen something God, else. I butchered your Sweet, wonderful you? link. What a knob I am. Um, but I will just give everyone a quick, really quick one on Good Grief. This is a really, this is a really full, I have to go disclaimer here, full disclosure, because I do know one of the, the actors in the film, Himesh Patel. And so I, of course, am just totally, you know, when you're watching your friend do anything, you are every little thing that they do. You're like, that's magic. He's unbelievable. Yeah. She's unbelievable. Um, yeah. For uh, literally, I was like the kid that's gone to see their mate in the theater show sort of thing. I was sitting at home and just like every time he came on screen, I was nervous because I wanted him to be great, but he is great. And he, he, he when I would you say, coming on here, come on, mate. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Step up. Um, it, it, I, I, it, I was so, so impressed with him. And so, um, just kind of taken with the fact that he's doing so well. Um, the the film itself is a really nice twist on the idea of taking on grief and the idea of how important friendship is within that and honesty within relationships. I don't want to ruin. I don't want to ruin it, but there's a really nice twist. There's a really interesting twist in the story that comes in. I would say a third of the way through the film. What's so you're not about, waiting. Mainly the sort of top line of the film. Uh, so Dan Levy, um, he, he writes and directs in this. Um, first his first time writing and directing as well, isn't it? I think. Yeah. And I mean, props to him. It's, it's a, it's, it's a nice film. It's a well-made film. It's, it makes you feel good. It makes some lovely points in there and takes on a subject matter that I think all of us have on some level, some experience with. Um, he, his 
husband unexpectedly dies. I won't go too much further than that. He plays character of Mark. Two best friends are called Sophie and Thomas. Um, Mark's gay. His uh, partner, Oliver, played by Luke Evans, unexpectedly dies on uh, around Christmas time. Um, and it really, really does kind of, um, it catches you off guard a little bit with this this twist early on. And it's a really interesting look at how grief can be affected or the stereotypical version of grief can be affected by things that you discover about your partner after the fact. Um, and it, they end up going on a, on a trip away to try and help them all get over their individual issues that they're facing within their own life, but the issues that they're all facing around this grief as well, that they're all experiencing together. Um, and it's a, it's a really nice, I, I think it doesn't fall into the traps of something like PS I love you where like, I'm, I'm a complete soppy bollocks. So something like PS I love you, I was able to really kind of enjoy that film and I'm sort of very doughy eyed for that sort of thing. But as a film, I think it was totally flawed. Um, this doesn't fall into that category, uh, but it's an easy and nice and uplifting and challenging watch. Um, I, I would say it, a lot of it is set in Paris, so there is a little bit of crossover with um, the, the film Passages that I keep going on about, which mm. is absolutely stunning as well. Um, so it's, it, yeah, it's got a it's got a really interesting kind of take there that I think would be good at some point after you've had a chance to watch it. There's a couple of bits in it that are quite challenging that are quite, that I think are, make for a good discussion, but no, so, so pleased for how well Himesh is doing. And it's kind of, it struck me watching this and this is my own naivety and this is my own sort of idiocy really. Um, that in terms of like UK Asian film stars like in terms of people in hollywood that are from the united kingdom but of asian heritage it really struck me that i was like that there is just such an underrepresented group there it's just not it, it, it's just not enough it's just there is just such a clear lack of representation within such a huge part of entertainment and culture and I'm by no means educated enough or have the knowledge ingrained within me enough to be able to speak from any kind of platform or any place of authority. But what I would say is when you're watching your mate do his thing, it suddenly brings it screaming home that you're like, oh shit, for, for people like Himesh, there's probably not loads of people to look at and go, wow, I'm going to follow in his footsteps. So I was really proud that he's kind of someone who's out there doing it and blazing a trail for other people to kind of see him and go, yeah, cool. I, I could also do that as well. Um, so yeah, give it a watch. It's a, it's a, it's a good film and I, I, I really, really enjoyed it and it's, it's on Netflix. So it's one of those that, um, it's not going to get that big kind of cinematic talk up, but I feel like a lot of people will will find this filming and, and get a lot from it. People love Dan Levy, don't they? So, I mean, well, not a lot of Spurs fans, but it's a different Dan Levy anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's Shit's Creek, isn't it? Shit's Creek yeah. was really, is a really, really, um, it, it went out, out of the box in terms of taking on, I mean, that's another one. It kind of has comparisons with Saltburn, doesn't it? Shit's Creek. 
just in terms of the way that it approaches the wealthy and their attitudes towards the kind of like the everyman, I suppose. But it, yeah, he's um, Dan Levy is clearly in a in a place of this film where he's able to kind of bring a lot to it as well. Um, so yeah, give it a go. Should we uh, should we move on to this week's film? Oh mate, I'm so excited to. I, like, I'm very aware that we've we've done a, a big chat around poor things, but um, but I'm gassed to get onto this week's film. What is this week's film, Ben? As if so, I as went if with people don't already know. <laughs> um, I went with Heat this week, and it's because I wanted to start the year with you'd start with Kill Bill. So I was like, right, I've got to keep the intensity high. I've got to keep us on the front foot, front <laughs> foot, and gag and press these films. Um, and Heat for me, I didn't realize until Purdy sort of said it to us after we've we've done it after we've selected. He's like, you do realize that's three hours. I didn't remember it being three hours, did no, you? Did I. No, no, I, I would have had it down as a 90-minuter. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. I had to do this in two sittings. <laughs> so, 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 like, yeah, because it was an absolute absolute beastie of a film, but I love it. I, I mean, it has got so many bits in there that I wanted to, um, that I wanted to sort of, like, go after. When and, did you and last watch have it? A right good, oh, ages, ages and ages yeah. and ages. It came onto Netflix about five years ago four years ago and then i saw it i was like yes please i'll have a little bit of that um do you know what mate something we forgot to do last week and i feel very guilty about but we didn't spoil the film in 60 seconds and i would like you to try and spoil a three-hour film in 60 oh, seconds good god right then <laughs> Did I, weren't prepped for that were we no not at all i saw <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was hoping we'd bend that off <laughs> <laughs> Should we we can bin it off, but no, I do no. think I do um, think it's important to try and give the kind of the of as much of the film to people in case they haven't seen it. Are you ready? I got him. Three, two, one. Beep. So he follows a group of high-end kind of you know guns for hire bandits, if you like. Um, when their latest job goes wrong, one of the one of the kind of ropier bandits, one of the guys that they haven't worked with as much, goes rogue, ends up killing a load of people. Wayne Grow. That brings extra heat to the crew and their activities, meaning that the bigger you know police officers get involved. The bigger police officer being Al Pacino in this instance. Um, what we see over the course of the film from that point 30 seconds. is. Al Pacino's character, um, Vincent Hanna, chasing down Robert De Niro's Neil McCauley, who is the head of this group of bandits, as they try to basically flirt with what's right and what's wrong, their own respective codes of conduct, and where both of them blur the lines in this kind of cat and mouse competitive face-off between a top cop and a Five, top bandit, four, where the audience three. is asked... Who is right and who is wrong? Beep. I mean, that's perfection, mate. That's absolutely perfection. Because there's no point in trying to dive into the minutiae of like each individual element. My previous mistakes, mate. You know, it's so spot on, though. The whole film, for me, the, the first thing that I wrote down on the running order, I was like, "Who do you want to win this film?" When you get to the end, who are you wanting? Do you, it, we, I mean, I'm sure lots of people have seen this, but the end of, I'm hoping everyone's listening to the pod has seen this, the end of the film is a is a one-on-one shootout 
And I kind of, the comparison that I would make, have you ever been with the missus and you're sitting there and you're like, what should we have for dinner tonight? And she's like, oh, I don't know. Should we have this or should we have that? And you're like, well, why don't we, why don't we get a takeaway? And you sit there and you spend ages choosing what takeaway you want. And then you get down to the last two and you go, you know what? Let's flip a coin. And then you flip a coin and it lands on one and you're like, oh, I didn't want that. Yeah, I'm a bit annoyed. <laughs> and then you're like, a moment ago, I yeah, and then held these two equally. And then I'm like, no. Clearly, you actually wanted one more than the other. So I wondered, as you were going through the film, was there anyone, was there any bit of it where you were like, I want him to win? Yeah, the baddies. I quite like Robert De Niro's yeah. character, you know? <laughs> Me too. Me too. You know, I wanted him to get bad. away. It's, it's one of those, you know, it's, 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 it's very true because it is this kind of, it's an almost like guilty feeling, isn't it? But, you know, Al Pacino, and I, and I think this is this is the the, the question that, you know, man is trying to ask with this film, what he's trying to provoke from the audience is who is right and who is wrong. Because Al Pacino throughout the movie really is a pretty reprehensible dude. Like he's not... Crap husband. Crap husband. Crap, crap dad. Crap guy. Like just, <laughs> you know, sort of plays... He's supposed to be upholding the law, but plays fast and loose with it when it suits him. It's, you know, it's, it's great. It's, it's a great kind of example of one of the sort of early questions of moral ambiguity in kind of mainstream kind of popular thing. It wasn't just baddie and goodie, right? Um, it's an, yeah, inter- it's it, an interesting it? movie because, you know, De Niro had, De Niro's character, Macaulay, had his code of conduct where the film is, you know, essentially the, the film takes place because De Niro doesn't like the fact that that other guy, the horrible murderous one in the crew has has killed the the people that they were holding up um yeah that is not that doesn't that doesn't you know fly with him that's not how his kind of code of conduct works with these things i think you're also i feel like you're kind of given a little bit more on the on the bad guys to make them good guys you know you you get given val kilmer for example is clearly a bit troubled He's not actually a really, really bad guy. He's but a bit of a troubled he's not guy. A really good I mean, guy he is a bad either, guy. He's you know not what I mean? It's no. Like, it's, but I know exactly what you're he, saying. He's just, he's, he's grey, you know? Yeah, shades of grey. And what's to say that, I mean, we do, I'm, I'm, I don't want to make sure, make sure I'm not disastrously skipping ahead too much, but I mean, we'll get on to the, the coffee scene or the diner scene. But you're meant, to, I, I think, you're meant to sit there and go, these guys are two sides of the same coin. Yeah. They, on another day, they could have taken a different path and they'd be on the other side of it. And it just so happens that they're both equally, as I think they're both addicted to their lives, aren't they? 100%. They can't actually stop it. They can't. That they admit to each other that around them, doesn't it? They've got, they've got, really, they've got. You see Al Pacino who tries to live a normal life with a you know wife and a stepdaughter, who just completely destroys that because he's too in love of his work. And you've got Macaulay who lives this very solitary existence because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't want anyone else around him. And then as soon as somebody does enter his life that goes to shit because he just realizes, no, I can't, I can't have this other type of life. I just can't. He has the decision. And again, probably jumping forwards, but he has the decision, doesn't he? At the end of the movie where 
he can drive off into the sunset with Edie, or he can chase down, and I'm going to find his name, the horrible guy. Wayne Grow. He can chase down Wayne Grow, and ultimately he decides to chase down Wayne Grow because Wayne Grow went against his code of conduct. He went against Mate, his Mate, I'd forgotten that. I'd forgotten that that scene where he goes, we're just going to, we're just going to nip this way. And she's like, is there time? And she's like, yeah, there's time. And you know, there's not time, but yeah. you're sat there like, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? You are free. You are out, but they're never out. You know, they, they, they can't st- in so many films do this. So many films do the, the the trope of one last job. But I think what Heat does brilliantly is it does one last job and then he gets it done and he's free, but he still can't let go. And it is that whole thing of you would have never got away. You you can't let yourself go and live a life. And I, I found myself even thinking, like, I wonder if he'd gone and got on the plane, right? He goes and he goes to New Zealand or wherever he's heading off to with his with his partner. You get the impression that it would have driven him mad that that guy that violated his code of ethics still exists out there and he would have ended up having to come back and kill him and then got caught all over again. Can, can um, I just say, like, speaking of um, Wayne Grow, because when he first came on screen, I was like, is that Ted Levine? And I was like, because I can kind of remember Ted Levine being in this film. And I was like, no, it's not. No, it's not. And then just the next scene when the detectives are on the scene, Kurt Levine's there. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> in he comes. Yeah. <laughs> they got such a similar look, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. I it was it is really strange seeing him in in like in not, a sort of like not uh, not demanding somebody puts the lotion in the basket. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um it was it was really, really strange. <laughs> but I loved it, man. I absolutely loved it. Well, um uh can I I want to pick your brain so I want to see if this is oh, the yeah. same for you as it was for me. This bit at the end, right, where he lifts his hand and they shake hands. What did you take from that? I think it's more you know, I think it's more an artistic metaphorical thing than it's supposed to be anything literal right it's kind of it's the completion of the circle it's the yin and the yang like you say um they kind of need one another and it's this is his last moment to kind of hold on to another part of himself i think um before he sort of says goodbye to it because with this case being over with de niro being out of the picture and that gang that case now being closed pacino's empty again isn't he his, yeah. his character's empty again because he's given his life to that in the short term. Vincent Hanna has, you know, knocked everything <laughs> to the side and just focused singularly on this on this case. And he's kind of like, you know, see you later. See yeah, because he, he says that quote. I mean, you've got you've got De Niro's quote, which the kind of key two quotes I think from the film: "Don't let yourself get attached to anything you're not mm. willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you feel the heat around the corner," which is just a wonderful delivery of that line. And then we later on in the film, I I think I'm right in saying it's just over 30 seconds, and it's really intelligently done. Like they have Pacino running towards De Niro, and then this lorry crosses in front of the shot. So you just get a little bit longer and I was sad enough to time it, but I think it's just longer than 30 seconds. 
showing that he just had that little deviance, that little pause, but then made a bolt for it. And then the flip of that is um, Pacino saying, I've got a hold on to my angst. I preserve it because I need it. It keeps me sharp on the edge where I got to be. And then you kind of see him with, without it, suddenly he kind of is there with his family and his daughter that's tried to kill herself. And then he still can't let it go. You know, he still mm. can't just let it go and be like, I could just go and chill and just look after my family, but he can't. So that for me, that lovely sort of like moment of them doing the handshake at the end is the kind of recognition of the loneliness. They're both alone. And so he gives him one moment of being like, you're not on your own. I'm sort of here whilst you whilst you kick it. Unbelievable one-on-one shootout scene though, isn't it? That yeah. bit at the end where they're kind of like dancing Great between the, um, oh my God. And it's doing this whole thing of the camera flicking back and forth between the, the this kind of like, it, you're going from the perspective of both of them, but then you're also then suddenly flicking into the camera, looking at the characters individually. So they go from on the front foot to then on the back foot from being attacking to then being vulnerable. And it's sweeping constantly between these kind of like big freight. um, I don't know what you would call them. They're kind of like containers, shipping containers. Mm. And it's so simple, but it's so smart with the lighting going off as the planes are coming in. And ultimately that being the undoing of, of Robert De Niro's character. Absolutely amazing. Absolutely just like really pioneering and smart and different, you know, and and you watch it back now and it still, still holds up. Um, uh, I was thinking as well with this, I wonder how hard it was to be on set because the, the, the film fundamentally is saying like, right, we've got two alpha males here. We've got two guys who are basically not going to back down. Do you reckon they were sort of fully kind of competitive on not competitive, but, do you reckon one of them had the upper hand on set? It's hard to know, isn't it? I, I don't know. I couldn't. I haven't really seen anything about what their dynamic was like. But I, I don't feel, even though there were two actors that were always compared, always in the running, in these kind of greatest actors of you know in the world type conversations, I never really felt a level of animosity between the pair of them like what you had with say Schwarzenegger and Stallone, right? Totally. Totally. There's a lovely, uh, there's a lovely uh, picture that I'll try and find for you. It's of them sitting in, you know, the kind of old school film chairs, the sort of set chairs yeah. with their names on the back, and they're just sort of sitting there having a bit of a chat. And you really? think, wow, man, imagine being on set with those two. You're just sort of like, you're just watching these absolute beasts go at it. Just amazing. Who, uh, out of interest, mate? Who do you prefer? I think I'm a De Niro guy. Yeah, same. And I, I don't like, know why it is. Do you think it might be something to do with the, the fact he's done comedy towards the end? Potentially. I find um, it works. Like, it works. It's, you know, and Al Pacino, Al Pacino is great, right? He's, he is absolutely fantastic. Um, but he does have a sort of a, a an almost theatric, theatricality to his stuff. Oh, hello, hello. Great, <laughs> yeah, you know that kind that, of that. Literally, that jumped out at me. Yeah, that that got a great ass. It's like uh, that was it was genuinely a bit bizarre. Yeah, which uh, 
I think he is kind of showing that the character is quite unhinged as well. Um, but I've always kind of liked De Niro's kind of low key kind of execution, of, of, you know, the way he does stuff. Um, but I think they're both brilliant, really. I think they are. It, and it is kind of lovely in this great, phase of their life, isn't it? Yeah. They're sort of in that kind of, they're probably just, they're in like dad bod era, aren't they, here? They're kind of like in that, they still both both look absolutely great, but they're not, how old were they have been at the time? They're not like 20s, are they? They're sort of reaching that point where it's kind of like, mid this is at the point. At that point, wouldn't you say, maybe? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And like we we sort of see them in that kind of like, they're sort of hard bastard era, aren't they? They're not like the young kind of, I'm going to go for you sort of thing. They're in, as we commonly refer to as dad grip strength era. <laughs> this is, this is them reaching, this is them reaching the pinnacle of that. To, to be fair, they'll be in their fifties. The film was what, 1995, wasn't it? Um, I'm just seeing here. Yeah. So Pacino was born in 1940. Um, wow. And De Niro was born in 1943. They they definitely have. This is kind of you can tell they're very very comfortable, can't you? That De Niro bit when he kills Wayne Grover, just like look at me, look at me, just so he can kill him. That was really sort of like it delivered with a delivered with with gusto. Really kind of like at it. Um, I I, I don't know whether you found this as well, mate. I, so I was getting increasingly struck by the idea that this is actually on some level a bit of a, this is really holding a, a mirror up to blokes. The, the whole male ego. Come on. We don't want to, yeah. we don't want to face all that. Sake, let me tell you about the Godfather. <laughs> um, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those films that just kind of like it, it, it when he has the acceptance, I think when didn't uh, Pacino's character has that acceptance that it's that, he's met someone who is potentially better than him mm. or is going to outfox him. There is that whole, like, I can't let this go. But then equally De Niro is up. No, I've got to be, I've got to win. I've got to be the alpha male in this. Yeah. And it, it was really fascinating. This kind of recognition point. I think it's when De Niro kind of lures them to, out to some sort of like shipping yard and then is taking pictures of him. And you see that's like the really ugly side of male ego. Mm. And they're sort of like, I mean, you, you kind of, one of the things that kind of jumped out at me, there was this really nice thing that I saw. Um, Alan de Botton, you will have heard him spoken about in Peep Show when Mark yeah. Corrigan sort of says, just think, what would Alain de Botton do? Um, <laughs> but he does this, <laughs> he, he does this really, he has a really fascinating That's my cup of pig in about... tea. <laughs> <laughs> de Botton wouldn't kill. Um, yeah. yeah, he has this really great thing around. <laughs> such a great episode, by the way. If you haven't seen this episode of Peep Show, it's when Mark basically kicks <laughs> kicks Jez out of his house, moves someone else in, and then Jez 
tries to convince Mark to waterboard him in a sleeping bag and drag him out into <laughs> into the lift so they can evict this guy. And Mark compares it to farty Guantanamo, which is <laughs> just absolutely sensational. But um, but Alan, back to the point. Alan de Button basically does this whole thing about jealousy. And he says that, particularly in men, that jealousy is not a case of um, looking at someone like David Beckham and going, oh, God, I'm so jealous of David Beckham. And it's not a question of looking at someone like Brad Pitt or even to go more weird. He always used the example of saying, well, you would never be jealous of the Queen. You would just never would be because she's too weird. She's too far removed from reality. And jealousy is actually about basically being jealous of someone that is you on a good day, you but slightly better. Um, and and particularly blokes have a really hard time coming to terms with the fact that you but just a little bit more X. It's very is, true. It, it is the thing that like kills you. It's like when, you know, when someone comes to you and be like, oh, isn't blah, 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 so fantastic. And you're like, yeah, I'm sure he's fucking wonderful. And it's like someone that you're absolutely obscenely jealous of because they're basically just you, but a little bit more successful or you, but a little bit more wealthy or more handsome or whatever, you know? Mm. Mm. And that's basically, I think, what we're getting here play out. I know what you mean. I know. I, I don't even know if it's always... A jealousy thing, though, it's it's interesting because I think jealousy is sort of the term we would wrap it up in. But I was talking to you about this before when I was talking about like the the sort of gym stuff, and it's just that it's almost like that silly. And I think it is like eight brain stuff. I do think it is. Um, when you're is this what we're gym, talking about wanting to just lift a bit more. Yeah, when you're lifting, you know, if you're lifting a you know a twenty kilogram kind of dumbbell, and the fella next to you comes and sits down, and you think, all right, he's a sort of similar size to me. And then he's got a pair of 25s in his hand. You're like, right, well, <laughs> I'm going to have to give <laughs> that a go boys. now, aren't I? I'm going to have to give that a go. Um, I, it's so funny. It's such it's an interesting such a stupid thing. mechanism in your brain, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Because what is that? That is on some level. That's your brain like wanting you to compete without needing to. It, it, you know, do you know, it's, need it's even to. probably a competition for resources thing. You know, it comes from that. Some stupid... That idea... That, the idea that if if you had to like if it sort of came down to it and you were going to have yeah. to compete they would if win if it was a fight to the death for the last packet of avocados in waitrose that geezer <laughs> that geezer is gonna he's gonna have you just like you know do you do, do you ever like are you you i can't imagine that you are but like in terms of like getting into like mini confrontations in uh in like a a newsagent environment or the shops or things like that. Are you someone that will like outwardly, are you quite happy to have a, what is it? Is it called, what does Scots call it? A, a, a square two, a set two? It, it, it all depends what sort of mood. I'm very, I'm, you know, I, I, well, I'm very fight or flight. I know everybody is that. There are just some days, you know, when you will be happily, and if somebody's being annoying, you, you, it, it's just, it's weird. It makes no sense. But m my psyche generally works in that somebody can annoy me one day and I can be like, more for, you know, somebody pushes past you getting onto the train and you think we're all going to the same place, but somebody just has to push past you. Some days I can be like, whatever, moron, poor impulse control. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And other days I'll be like, 
Which only need to push me there, mate. We're all getting on the train. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it just it, and you'll actually say it. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. But no, I'm not. I'm, you know, I don't go out swinging my fists or anything like that. You know, I'm not. And well, that, the reason why I ask is because you get the impression that the two guys in this film are very much those like loud people. In like, someone might push past them and they would grab them. Yeah. Or yeah. they would be like, do you want oh, to do that again? Oh, that kind of, yeah. Exactly. And you would see like a young kid or whatever that thinks they're a bit hard, just suddenly brick it. Just realize that, oh, I've done that to the wrong person. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've shoved the wrong guy. These, this, these are the guys that are going to give me the kind of like the, the fabled slap around the chops that everyone's spoken about, like, do it too many times and eventually someone will just knock your block off. These like Pacino and De Niro and those guys, they're those absolute badasses. Um, <clears throat> I did want to uh, uh, flick on. I kind of, unfortunately for you, just in, in our WhatsApp aside chat during this film, really, really was quite taken with the amount of 90s stuff there wasn't here this is like a firm 90s classic and i made a kind of list of the things that i thought were were up there with the kind of stuff of the time so there is this like searing sexy guitar that plays when things are about to get sort of smoky and and a bit hot under the collar in the bedroom um and you, you sort of get the cityscape shot at night with the the kind of like very very almost pornographic music coming on you know what's coming (laughs) (laughs) it gets very good is it this is about to get seedy and then i kind of listed some other stuff goatees the sort of sedan cars the oversized suits the um the kind of green and black screen computers yeah yeah, very yeah. like the very early tech of them trying to listen using essentially a traffic cone that was, was helping them it, it, in this era as well mate there was a way and you see I, I would say terminator 2 is another example there was a way of shooting la that they don't they don't shoot it in this way anymore and like i, I yeah, they make it look so flat it huh they make it look so two-dimensional don't they they shoot it almost flat but it, like but it for, you also, can see it, for miles it, and miles and miles, it just feels hot as well, though, right? Like when you're, yes. you're watching, the yeah, stuff. yeah, it feels like that. You know, when you're watching Formula One and that kind of has that little mirage over the track, mm. it kind of almost has that heat rising off the surface thing, which is really interesting. Another um, example of this is that Michael Douglas film Falling Down. I don't know if you've seen that before. I've but. never seen that. Would you recommend? Well, maybe maybe I'll recommend it at some point, mate. Who knows, eh? Nineteen ninety three. Who's in that? Michael Day. Yeah, there you go. He's got, oh, that's a very nineties cast. Very nineties. Um, the the final bit of uh, the final bit of my kind of nineties bingo, and I'm sure there's loads more stuff in it. The, the aggressive. I, I've let, how did I write? <laughs> specifically type this out. Overzealous, audible mouth kissing. Oh, and yeah. I I would love to know if this was dubbed afterwards or whether that's actually the sounds. It, it was a type of snogging that they did in films <laughs> in the 90s as well, where they just kind of smushed their faces together. Do you know what I mean? It's like, do you know what? Snogging is just the word for it, that's isn't it? Because it? it's, it's not really... Snogging. It's what they it's did in like, the 90s. 
Nobody, it's like people weren't pulling, they weren't tonguing or anything like that. They were it's just a couple snogging. of sink plungers being smushed into each other, isn't it? Dumb and dumber, they do a good uh send up of that when Jim Carrey's like, you know, kissing her in the. I don't know if you've seen Dumb and Dumber, but uh, you know, there's a, there's a good bit I can't, I haven't seen Dumb and Dumber in ages, ages. Uh, there's another That's one, a, maybe do another one for the list, yeah. Um, but it's it, like it's so like. Those two have obviously reached that point, as you said, they're fifties. So I think you're just starting to reach the bit where you're like, "Don't really want to watch them kissing." <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? Sort of like, could you not just go, just do what all other good nineties films do, like they say in the Truman Show, just cut to some curtains blowing in the wind, well, and we'll all know what's going on. Then you're not going to like this news, mate. Like you know. Al Pacino, what is it? I think he's 80, Don't say it. 84, 85 Don't say now. It. His girlfriend's in her 20s. 29. I mean, 29. Al Pacino, oof. you absolute. Ooh. You shallywag. <laughs> <laughs> and then we need sort of like, do you know what's really sad? Like, slight detour here. Have you seen how old poorly Val Kilmer's been? Yeah, yeah, so it's, he, it's, yeah, it's sad. He's been really, really unwell, and he's not that that old, but he no. just has had, he just like has had a lot of health problems. Um, and seeing him in this, this is really, I the the missus didn't know, but I was like, Falcon was Batman, you know, and he's smoking in this, isn't he? He's like a yeah. real kind of like heartthrob era Val Kilmer. He looked the absolute business, and he just looks so. He looks very kind of like frail now but it's nice to see him get that cameo in top gun maverick though wasn't it yeah absolutely i mean he like he's had quite a he's had a lot of iconic stuff in his career he's had a lot of iconic stuff without ever really being i mean i, I suppose the exception of batman without ever being the man do you know what i mean but he's all you always sort of think of him as the the plus one don't you, you think of him as yeah you're kind of like you're 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 your best mate, your your guy that's kind of like providing you with the assist. But uh, I be, yeah, I he, believe I, he was famously always quite hard to work with. Oh, really? A bit of a diva, yeah. And I think that may have curtailed his career a little bit as mm. well. We'll have to do a little bit of a little bit of a deep dive on on that, um, mate. I, I, I'll chucking you one up here. If I had to get you to pick between the shootout at the end. The diner scene or the shootout when they rob the bank, the heist scene. What do you think is the best scene within the film? The the heist. It's the, pretty special. It's the it? heist is unbelievable. It's, it's one of the, if not the best action set piece in cinema history. It's unbelievable. You know. What makes it so good? It feels so real. It feels so real. Um little kind of in the way of like OTT explosions or even gratuitous violence, which sounds ridiculous for a massive shootout occurring over the course of a, mm. you know, over the course of several minutes across a, a city. Um, it just, yeah, it feels very, very realistic. And what I do know about this scene is that, you, you know, the, the actors like Kilmer, De Niro and Pacino, they all went on like an intensive training course with like the US Navy SEALs in order to oh, look really? the part. 
yeah, yeah, in order to play for this. They also used, um, I'm not sure where and how it was deployed, but they used live ammunition at points during this as well, during this shootout sequence. Oh, wow. Um, it was it was a, a really heavily, heavily, heavily kind of uh, choreographed. I think I think they honestly, I think they spent. I wanted to say it was. I, I remember in my research for this. I think they spent maybe about a month choreographing the the sequence and the set piece and everything like that. Oh my god, that's amazing! And, and it pays off, right? It really does because it's yeah. so exciting, and you really you feel every shot. There's something about the way in which you know the way in which the guns are fired, the the noise that they make, how loud yes. it is. Yeah, it, it feels so much more real. And I'm sure we will maybe. Well, we might not, but I know that Michael Mann in this he. Um, I think, I think it's called Dolby SR. It was like a, a pioneering kind of sound capture technique that he pioneered. He worked with um, the studios and the, the tech people in order to have a have a richer, fuller sound to this film. Because, um, you know, like Nolan we have nowadays, he was a real kind of, you know, lover of movies and honing kind of the craft um, to get the best out of it that he could. So... That's uh yeah, you know, that's um I think I think it really does pay I mean it does pay off, doesn't it? It, it does hearing the, the gun dinner scene is iconic. The diner scene is the first time Robert De Niro and Al Pacino have ever been on screen. They've been in movies together, but funnily enough, that was the first time they'd actually been on screen together. So I do understand kind of, you know, the meeting of two legends and everything, but as an objective I mean, you can't say it's objective, can you? There's a sequence, though. <laughs> no, yeah, but I think, I think, just as a kind so, of like, it was brilliant. As a bit of filmmaking, the amount of um, variables you'd have to control. Imagine like that—that that scale and that size of set piece to get it right, um, and that with the characters involved as well. And also, they managed to do like quite a bit of storytelling in there. They managed to do this whole thing of like leaving people behind, and also when he picks up the child. And you sort of are like, yeah, you're really suddenly very like, oh, these guys, all this time I've kind of seen these as the the good bad guys. And then suddenly they're the bad, bad guys. I think it's it's very purposeful with that dude as well, because he's he's got kids, right? Well, and he's always held up as the like the principal, the good man who's got it all together. He's the family man. He's you know, got real estate assets and all this type of stuff. Like Al Pacino was saying to him, Al Pacino's, uh, Robert De Niro's character was saying to him. And so it tells him to walk away, doesn't he? Yeah. And he doesn't. And then you kind of like, he doesn't walk away because he's a bit of a psycho. And that act in itself is like, yeah, he's a grubby dude. It's the reverse. It's, you know, like we talk about the saving the cat technique to make a character look better. That's the punching the cat. That's the one where you're like, yeah, this dude can die. I don't care. You know. Yeah, he he has a line, doesn't he? He says, "You know, for me, the action is the juice," yeah. and that's the that's the that's the thing. He's not ever going to be able to kind of walk away from it. I thought that those di- the sorry the the dining scenes were really really good. I thought that was a really nice mechanism to to sort of throw in there. The idea of them all sitting around in this kind of familiar way, and it's the like you said, it's that idea of again having the 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 honor amongst thieves the code thing the fact that no 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 you did like you can go and rob someone's entire livelihood but then at the end of the day you have to sit down and be nice to each other and like you have to look after each other's family there was another really weird thing that 
De Niro, you know, when De Niro at the end is like, I need a driver and he goes and finds that guy and he's like, are you good to do this? And then he's killed within the space of five <laughs> minutes on the screen. He's it's like, like are you good for this? It's story, isn't it, of him and his kind of rehabilitation, his his attempts to rehabilitate, but how miserable yeah. that is. Yeah, and he's like in this, again, just making food as a chef, and then the guy comes up to him and he's like, what have you done burning that stuff? And he just smashes him into sort of all the crockery. He, and then he, he has walks it coming, out and he's that piece of shit. Yeah, horrible little twerp. And then, you, you, but then he's gone. It's like he's gone five, ten minutes later. Another little turn in this that I think a quite impressive sort of. Um, he's not necessarily a real baddie, but William Fickner is it as Van Zant, the the kind of like the money man who hides out in his office for like yeah, a week yeah, yeah. or whatever. Like it's amazing how the film makes you look at him and be like, God, what a prick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you sort of think of him as like the real arsehole of the piece. And yet everyone else is like killing people, you know. And I, I did think that of Wayne Grow as well. It was like a really nice side hustle as well. Well, it's also because that dude, like, um, <laughs> he's William Fickner's always the arsehole in everything. You know, isn't like, he? Whenever isn't he's in a you movie see his or a face. TV show, he's just always the arsehole. You're like, okay, I why get are it. you such a bastard? He's what is the antagonistic cop or been... special agent or whatever that's just a tosser. I think he was a bit of a throbber on, um, <laughs> I think <laughs> on Black Hawk Down. I think he was he an arsehole in Armageddon. Probably. Shoot. No, I'm trying. There was there was definitely a film. Prison where he Break. Was. I don't know if you ever watched that. <laughs> Prison <laughs> Break. That was it. Yeah. Prison. I knew there was, and maybe Dark Knight as well. Is he sort of? Is it? Is he? I don't remember him in Dark Knight. I can't remember. Like he's been in some wild stuff, by the way. Perfect Storm, Pearl Harbor, Armageddon. Perfect Storm. He, what a film! Unbelievable film, wasn't it? Like it's absolutely incredible. Um, anyway, I digress. Um, do you want to go on to uh, Farm One and War Crime? Yeah, let's let's do it. Because I, full disclosure, I haven't got too many things in here that I think that it that it's a, a war crime. I've got so many yeah. things that I thought were fine wines. I thought the the, the action sequences were unbelievable. Getting to see De Niro and Pacino. This is a film. That when that, I mean they're not going to be around forever. No, but this will be a film that people come back to. I think, and they go, oh, De Niro and Pacino together. You know, you still think of this, right? You, you know, they spent a whole movie together in The Irishman, bloody four hours together, right? And yeah, you don't really think about that, do you? Um, what you think about, and no disrespect to Scorsese, you know, I mean, I guess that is implicit. There's an implicit level <laughs> of respect in, in my statement there, but still, you know, it's heat, it's this moment, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a, a little too young to really feel the full kind of gravity, you know, in, in terms of like, really, as far as I can remember, heat's always existed, and thus a film with De Niro and Pacino has always existed. Even though they were in The Godfather Part 2 together, I know they didn't share any time on screen, so it's it's kind of different. I can imagine at this point, though, the two biggest actors in Hollywood, peak of their powers, being on screen in a movie like this, it's it's 
You know, it's it's the big boxing match that everybody wants to see, isn't it? It's Anthony Joshua versus Tyson Fury. It's you know, it's, uh, you know saying you saying Bolt versus Justin Gatlin at the peak of their powers, or yeah. Tyson Gay at the peak of their powers. You know, like the two biggest names going head to head, and I think it is also. I feel like you get value for it. Do you know what I mean? You 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 you've got these two absolute beasts and. You get to see them, someone doesn't break a nail and then you go, oh, well, they're not going to do this thing head to head. They really go hammer and tongs and, and you get a, you come away feeling, what would be the word, like feeling nourished for it. Yeah. It's fulfilling, you know, you don't, you don't, it doesn't feel like they're half-assed it. You the, the do get I, to see one of them win and one of them lose. Yeah, the thing I like as well is that when you see kind of, when you see, Pacino on screen with because you know I was talking about his kind of his over theatricality in in certain parts of the film. You don't get that. You don't get that in the scenes when it's him and De Niro. I mean that that the diner scene is so captivating, and really it's a it's a pretty uneventful scene, right? It's the two of them just sat there talking, and it culminates in them basically being like, "We both get the rules here, though. I'm going to kill you, or you're going to kill me. That's how this is going to work because we are never ever going to give this up." But the way they just sort of sort of play off of one another, it's like, you know, it's like seeing Federer versus Nadal back in the day, right? Federer sort of probing each other. You know, just the two of them just kind of batting it back, back and forth to one another. And you just sat there as a movie fan being like, yeah, man, these guys are like, they are two that- legends for a reason. Yeah, and they do that thing, don't they? Where the the writing is really, really tight with it. So neither of them gives an inch. They they open the conversation, unpack the conversation, and then package it up again without either of them having given any ground. Neither of them looking weaker, but neither of them looking stronger. Mm. And us all as audience members going, oh, it's just going to go down. Like brilliant, one yeah. way or another, they are going to go hell for leather at each other, which is just—it's it, a really, really difficult thing to do. But they don't flicker; neither of them flicker. And I wonder—that's kind of where that question comes from me. Like, can you imagine sitting in there and watching that scene? And often actors will talk about the idea of needing to raise their game because they're on set with someone else. Mm. But imagine being sat there as a member of the crew and being like. You, the, you're about to watch two of the greatest of all time do this kind of back and forth. It must be like when you go and watch elite level sport and you almost have to pinch yourself that you're getting to watch sport at that level. If you're on set as a crew member and you've got a, a, a small part to play or whatever, if you're on the lighting or you, you just would not want to be the person that makes any mistake at all. <laughs> No. You, you, you imagine that you'd just be like someone's like oh there was a bit of a shadow that came across his face there but like, shit shit like the person that didn't turn on the sound recorder for the Margot Robbie and Killian Murphy <laughs> exactly yeah. exactly I've chatted to so many people about that not not to like rub salt into the wound of the person that was recording the audio for that interview but it, it just is, there's such a um, a natural kind of affinity with that moment for so many people that work in media but you would you, you imagine being that person that's on the the audio for this scene or when they've got the perfect take of it and you're like can we just do one more because i bollocks it up you just want to be you would want to be at the, the the very best of your game um is there anything we've missed in terms of the war crime thing i mean that, that there's a I, there's probably a couple of like 
simple things in here, but I don't, there's nothing that jumps out at me. I don't think so. You know, to be honest, I think, okay. I mean, like what I would say is that the, the female characters are reduced to being kind of support for the men, you know, do you know what I mean? Like they don't yeah. really yeah. kind of have their own arcs or kind of ambitions. They just kind of seem to be a thorn in the side of these men, you know, why can't they just be quiet and let me get on with it? But <laughs> I think it's, um, you know, I don't think the movie falls by that. And I don't think it's especially problematic, especially given that it is a film made in the nineties as well, you know? Um, yeah. And it is like very much, I, I do feel like it's, it's kind of, it's quite self-aware in that sense that it's pretty much showing these guys that are, they, they can't get off. Mm. They can't like all of them just, they have to stay on these, these sort of train tracks that are guiding them directly towards a sort of cataclysmic collision. That's it, isn't it? One way ticket to oblivion. And they can't help themselves. They have to stay on it. Even when, even when um, Michael, uh, sorry, uh, Nate, John Vaught's character goes, well done, mate, you got out. Like, enjoy your freedom. And he even has the phone call. And he's like, you're free. Go and like, I'm I'm letting you go. I hope to never see you again. And and he still can't. He still uh-huh. can't let it go. Um. So yeah, that was good fun. Like an absolute beast of a uh, beast of a film. Um. Who's your MVP, mate? Robert De Niro. Oh, De Niro wins it for you. Yeah, I think so. I just think I just like his the execution of the role. Um. The, the the complexity to it because he never gets too emotional, but you just see, I don't know, things like when he does kill, was it Wangaro or whatever he's called? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's kind of like the closest you get to emotion with him. And I, I kind of, I like the scene when Edie's chatting him up in the bar and at first he's like, why are you talking to me, lady? And he's like, oh, she's hitting on me. <laughs> it almost shows you how kind of detached he is from his, yeah. human side that he becomes like this kind of weird crime robot you know he's, <laughs> like he's forgotten what it is to be human and i think the way yeah, that like way crime. is is very human and very like it's very funny it's very good him kind of like i feel like the hair and the goatee do a lot for him as well yeah yeah, yeah. do you know what i mean it's that weird kind of slicked back hair no tie goatee kind of he looks the part doesn't he he yeah. looks like the good baddie. He's, I think he might he might sneak it for me as well. I think he might just nick it. But I do want... Have you ever seen the film Face Off? I have. It's a kind of similar thing with that, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, you've got Nick Cage and, and John Travolta. You're like, I'm very aware that these two guys are, are, are putting on a, a show here. But I can't help it that I like John Travolta more. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen Face Off in years. I used to love that movie as well, actually. That was a proper 90s one, wasn't it? I want to say 1997. Yeah. 97 it is. Yeah, bang on. Back of the net. What a film that was as well. Great Such movie. a clever sort of little little play on it. Um, okay, should we have a bit of IMD ball? Let's do it. Let's do IMD ball. Oh, 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 he might go. Okay, so this 
theme. I did I did sort of raise it up front, so I, I can't get in too much trouble here. But we'll go the films of De Niro or films of Pacino. Now, who would you like to go... Like, who would you like to go with? I'll give you first dibs. I mean, that feels almost unfair. No, go on. You, you absolutely can. Then guess i'll go pacino okay you you, you want to go pacino that's your that's the I'm, I'm happy to take de niro no i think i think i'll go pacino i think they're they're pretty okay. evenly matched across the yeah let's let's go let's go de niro okay Pacino. sorry right. yeah <laughs> so <you are laughs> right uh, uh you take first go on then first one well this this seems almost unfair for me to do this, but if I'm going first, then I will. Godfather Part Two. <laughs> <laughs> or should we roll that one out because they are both in that? Well, no, you can have that one. Right. You can have that one. So you're you've got Pacino, I've got De Niro, and you're going Godfather Part Two. I will go for Taxi Driver. So Godfather Part Two. I mean, Godfather Part Two is is going to be up there, isn't it? Goat level. Yeah. Is coming in at seven point seven. No way. Oh no, that's there's <laughs> there's two Godfathers. Uh, there's two Godfather Part Twos. Really? So Godfather Part. Yeah, it's, and I think it might be a Bollywood one. Um, but that was seven point seven. So that's coming at nine out of ten. Yeah, I was going to uh, say. I, I was going to say. No, I might have to. Might have to get an independent adjudicator. Yeah. Taxi driver comes in at eight point two. God, this Ooh. could be an absolute washout. Uh, you go. <laughs> the Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. Um, okay, I will go with Casino. Nice. See, Godfather is. That's a nine point two. Casino is. Yeah. 8.2. I mean, this is I mean, these God, are top Godfather's two number two. one on IMDb's list, I believe. So, is it? Yeah, okay. So, um, go on then for the win to take it away. Mm, let's say a dog day afternoon. I will go with I'll go with Joker. Interesting. Dog Day Afternoon 8 Joker 8.4 Back in the game Needed that Needed that Okay Where to now? Scarface Fuck (laughs) (laughs) This is what I mean man It's just I might go Killers of the Flower Moon no, no. Don't want to go kill the Flower Moon because it's too recent. It would have been battered, won't it? Maybe the Irishman because I reckon it might have been enough time for people to kind of go, oh, it's actually amazing. No, bollocks, 7.8. And you are 8.3, Scarface. Well played. Four cool. goals to one. Um, I, Just out of interest, I want to know if I had gone for... Killers of the Flower Moon would I would I still be in it no 7.7 good I can sleep really? easy 7.7? tonight wow yeah. interesting the, the newer films don't do so well do they no. uh, congratulations mate another solid win That's and now for that all important question 
I, is that not four one? I think uh, it might I, be. If it is, if it is, yeah, going great. Yeah, nice one. Bollocks. Um, uh, take me to bring the music down and take me to where we're going next week. So you've uh, you've said that you know you've you've made the point already that we've gone kill Bill and then onto heat high octane high octane. I'm gonna bring the tone right down now, mate. I'm gonna I'm ramping <laughs> ramping the pace of this one down. I'm slamming the brakes on. And what we're gonna do now is we're gonna sit back. What I want you to do when you watch this one, because it's almost impossible not to, right? I want you to pour yourself a nice glass of your favourite whiskey, right? Maybe a bit of ice, maybe not. It depends how you like it. But a nice glass of your favourite whiskey to to sit back and just kind of bask in the whiskey-infused, like, vibes of this film. Now, Sofia Coppola has got Priscilla out at the moment, but this is arguably the film in which she made her name. Um, It's got some absolutely, like, blinding performances in here. Um, and I think it's going to be a movie that is right up your street, mate. It's uh, Lost in Translation. Oh, I was hoping you were going there. What a film. What a film. I love this film so much. And there's so much in this. Some really kind of interesting stuff yeah. behind the scenes. It's going to be a good old kind of like... war crime, this one as well, mate, isn't it? Oh, my God. I can't wait to watch this, man. I might yeah. watch that tomorrow. Legit, yeah. I might watch it straight away. <laughs> I'm going to watch yeah. it tonight, so, actually. Yeah. Oh, I've started it already. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, buzzing. Um, right, little reminder, at BYOB Pod on the social channel. You can get us right the way across the board if you haven't already left a rating and review. What are you waiting for? Get on Do it. it. Um, Do it. And, and next week, a bit of Lost in Translation. What a shout, mate. See you all next time. Bye.